Good morning. It's very good to see you. You know, what you, uh, what you just heard, and I want to just express thanks to Luke for writing this wonderful music. What you just heard is a lament. What we sung is a lament. It's a lament and a petition to God. And as a modern church in the West, we don't sing many laments. But there are many things to lament in the world. And if we don't lament them to God, then our grief and our sorrow will t- can turn in on us and really ruin us and destroy us in many ways. And the Lord welcomes us to come to him with our lament. And he welcomes us to come to him with our pleading, our pleas. We see this again and again in the book of the Psalms. The Lord is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And we know that God listens to our prayers. We know that he hears us. And we look to the day when Andrew's free. Amen? We look to the day. I'm going to read you from 1 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1. We're continuing our, our series on 1 Timothy. And I'm going to be reading from verses uh, 12 to, uh, to 20. The Apostle Paul is writing to his, more than his protege, more than his mentee, he's writing to Timothy, whom he calls my true child in the faith. And he says to him now, he says, I thank him, God, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, he's thinking Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. I don't like that translation because insolent sounds, I don't know, sort of academic. But insolent really means um, vicious, relentless, vengeful, uncaring. He was all those things. He says, this is, this is what I was. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I ask that you would make the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I think that the best way to read Paul's letter to Timothy is if you put yourself in Timothy's shoes. Of course, the question is, how do you do that? You're not Timothy. Paul isn't telling you to remain 
in Ephesus and to confront uh, divisive teachers who are straying from the gospel and who are leading others astray as well. And yet the turmoil and the conflict that Timothy is going through internally is familiar to every one of us. God in his providence orders all things. God by his word and through his Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts in the midst of those. And he speaks to our conscience. And in the midst of this, Christ then calls us to do hard things. And then he calls us to suffer hard things. And he was writing this, this very passage, as well as the whole letter, but this very paragraph, in order to encourage Timothy, in order to encourage him. Because remaining true to Christ in the midst of hard things is how we grow. So Paul's writing Timothy here as his child in the faith, God had given Paul many, many hard things to do. He had suffered much. He'd been faced with far more difficult challenges than Timothy had. He had suffered far more things than Timothy had. And he had grown so much. And now he's speaking to to Timothy. He's saying, look, you, you got this. You can do this. Because Christ is faithful. I know. I know. I think we Christians are misled when we believe that Jesus simply calls us to follow him because it's not possible simply to follow him. But rather, he calls us to pick up our cross daily in order to follow him. And the cross is the symbol of our dying to ourselves. The cross is the symbol of our crucifying our own sinful tendencies. And we have so many sinful tendencies. They are our default reactions as we go through life. I mean, honestly, so often, it is not the outward turmoil that defeats us. It's our own inner turmoil and inner battles. It's not outward dangers, but inner fears that drive us off. It's not others' disapproval of us or lack of confidence in us that makes us wilt, but it's our own self-doubt. It's not our, it's not our inability that leads to our failures, but our sense of inadequacy. And all these external things that I'm talking about, they feed that internal battle. But the battle doesn't turn on the externals. The battle turns It turns on the internals. And as a result, when we find ourselves being in the battle internally being defeated, what happens is we we abandon our conscience. Uh, We stop doing the right thing because we believe it's too hard. Uh, We stop seeking the Lord for comfort and for wisdom because we, we believe that what we are feeling about ourselves in the circumstance and in this life position. We feel that it is the truth and that nothing can change this. And we become, even though we're professing Christ, we really become fatalists. You follow what I'm trying to say this morning? We're talking about the place internally where we fight the most significant battles of our lives 
And the outcome really is determined by what we believe is the truth. What we believe is the truth. What we know we can count on. Jesus calls us to take up our cross every day and follow him. And the meaning of that includes that rather than allowing ourselves to be continually caught up in the inner turmoil that we are creating for ourselves and being sucked down into that vortex, instead we trust, we hope, and we love Christ. And the fruit of that trusting and loving and hoping in Christ, the fruit is obedience. The fruit is faithfulness. The fruit of that is a kind of vitality that comes to us by the Holy Spirit, what Paul would call strengthening. And it's when we do this that we learn how completely trustworthy he is. It's when we live this way, when we take this approach that we realize he loves us more than we had ever imagined. So, if you're going to put yourself in Timothy's shoes as you hear this message today, I suppose I need to put myself in Paul's sandals. So Paul's point to you, Timothy... In these verses, is listen to me. I'm well ahead of you in this race you're running. You're struggling with self-doubt. You want to get out of Dodge. You don't want to do what I've called you to do, what Christ has called you to do. You struggle with self-doubt. But Timothy, you look to Christ. You be confident in Him. Because it's right. And when you look to Christ and your confidence is in him, it will trump your self-doubt. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. Christ has turned my life into a case study for you. I'm here to be a living example of Christ's patience in you. Of how he is in you. Take to heart what you see and what you hear to be in me, dear Timothy. Whether, Timothy, your name today is Carol or Bob or John or Lisa. And then Paul goes in. And and what he describes for Timothy, what he tells Timothy is so wonderful. That he begins with thanksgiving in verse 12. And he concludes with a doxology of praise in verse 17. He moves from I thank him to to the king eternal of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is grounded in Paul's experience of salvation and the difference that Christ has made in his life, how the Lord has completely changed who he is by accepting him and forgiving him and filling him with the Holy Spirit. Paul says three things in verse 12. He says, he has given me strength. He says, he has judged me faithful. And he says, he has appointed me to his service. I want you to think about those three things. He has given me strength, Timothy. 
He strengthens me continually to do what I could never otherwise have done and to be what I never otherwise could have been. What does that mean? What does that strengthening mean? Timothy, it means this. I can see that God's word is his word. I can hear his voice when I read it. I know his presence when I turn to him in prayer. I feel his spirit moving me, persuading me, convicting me, and giving me wisdom and how to obey. I experience, experience his pleasure when I obey him and his dismay when I do not. I know the spirit-filled joy of casting myself on his mercy when I am in desperate situations and keep moving forward for Christ's glory no matter what. I know his gentle care when I am suffering abuse and illness. I know the peace that I feel and have felt when I have been in prison and there's been no relief but to hope in him. He has strengthened me. And no matter what antagonism or antagonists I face or hardships or other challenges, I do know this, that whatever he has for me, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And Timothy, this is just as true for you. And because of the strength that comes from him, because it is strength that comes from him, God judges me faithful. And so I will not believe lies that keep me from doing the right thing or that dispirit me. I can confront when it's clear I must. And I will make peace when it's clear that I should. And when I fall short, as I surely do, I will humble myself before my Savior and confess my sins because that too is part of his finding me faithful. He strengthened me. He looks at, he knows what he's doing in me. It is his will. He's at work in me to will and to do his good pleasure. For that reason, he looks at me and says, You're faithful. Now, now, Timothy, the same thing is true for you. And when you dwell on underestimating yourself, you have crossed really a boundary into underestimating God and what God is doing in you. Now don't do that. Strengthening me as God has, counting me worthy as he does, he has appointed me to his service, which he has not withdrawn. Imagine that. I have a high calling and privilege to serve Christ as an apostle, just as he calls you to service. Imagine that. Don't think for a minute it's because I'm anyone special. I didn't come to Christ through a program for the gifted and talented. I was a living blasphemer against Christ. I persecuted Christian men and women every way I could think of. When I was done with Jerusalem, I was moving toward Damascus. 
I took pleasure in other people's suffering. I felt no pity. I watched people die. Timothy, you understand what's happened to me? For your sake, Christ has made me a poster boy for his grace. I really am the chief of sinners. I really am the worst. Now let me add a preacher's parenthesis here. What does this mean when Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners? Has he done a scientific study? Has there a poll been done? Is this a result of a survey? When the Holy Spirit convicts somebody of their sin, they stop comparing themselves with others. They stop making comparisons in order to make themselves look better. They are so vividly aware of having willfully offended God that they cannot imagine anything worse being done by anyone else. And it really, it's not necessarily the sin itself so much, but the one who has been sinned against that drops their jaw and leaves them speechless. Absolutely speechless. Paul talks about here having acted in ignorance and unbelief. Yes, it was ignorance. It did not mean, that does not mean Paul did not know the Ten Commandments, one of which was thou shalt not kill. It does not mean that Paul never read Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It meant that until he realized who Christ was, and thereby really who God was, he was ignorant of how foul his sin was. He could live with his sin until he recognized God for who he was and then he could not live with himself because of what he had done, how wrong he had been, completely wrong. And to him Christ spoke words of mercy and forgiveness and it was like cold water to a man who was dying of parched thirst in the desert. I died for you. I died for you too. I would say to you this morning that if you take this tack, if you say, for example, maybe say with Paul, you think you're saying, but Paul, I'm an awful person. And then you keep going, God cannot use me. I'm disqualified for service. Let me just say, if that's the tack you take, you are actually believing a lie. You're believing a lie. You're taking the easy way out, honestly. You're taking yourself out of the race. You're attempting to disqualify yourself like Peter when he went fishing even after Jesus rose from the dead because he had denied Christ 
three times after all. He couldn't seem to get over that. Or like Timothy, here, being tempted to do exactly the same thing. I am useless. I am not qualified. I I cannot do this. I am too weak. My stomach hurts me too much. I'm just too immature. I just blow it too many times. Paul never said that when he said, I'm the chief of sinners. He said, God has worked in me, the chief of sinners, in order to make me an example, a poster boy of his grace and what transformation does. What it means, what it involves. He's saying, Timothy, in me, yes, me, the very hardest of cases, I received overflowing grace. I received mercy and forgiveness. I was given strength and I was approved and I was appointed to Christ's service even with my weaknesses so that in me as the chief of sinners Christ might display his perfect patience for everyone who would believe in him for eternal life. That's it. He has never thrown in the towel on me, Timothy. He will never throw in the towel on you Do not throw in the towel on yourself. Paul speaks of his perfect patience. Christ displays his perfect patience in me. You know what that means? It does not just mean that he puts up with you. It means that with infinite patience that you cannot exhaust, he always is going about his work in you. And that means whether you know it or not, whether you're asleep or whether you're awake, whether you think it's so or not, this is grace outpoured. This is how he loves you, actively, continually. And this is why we sing, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, underneath me, all around me. It's this current of his love. You're in the current of his salvation. And I know sometimes we think we're really making progress because we're swimming hard, we're swimming right along, and we know we're moving. Sometimes we are barely treading water. We're not aware if we're moving at all. We think we may be losing ground, but the fact is that we're still in the current of his love. So Timothy, do not look to yourself. Do not take your bearings from your circumstances or your momentary conditions. The things that are around you. How things look to you. You take stock of your Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, and what he has called you to do. And you walk that out. He says, wage the good warfare. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to faith. Do what he's called you to do. Do it with all your might. Hold on to a good conscience. Don't let that slip. Look to him. Look to him. In this passage, Paul is laying before Timothy a very stark choice. He's laying before Timothy two very stark options. And the options are Paul, the apostle, on one hand, and the false teachers on the other hand. He cannot, 
Timothy cannot remain neutral. He cannot remain undecided. He cannot remain wavering over which party, which side is a word to take. If he acquiesces to the false teachers, if he acquiesces to the voices of falsehood, in order to end his personal turmoil and the conflict he feels over being in that situation and all those feelings that get stirred up inside, if he acquiesces, he will become like those who are misleading. Because once a person has sacrificed his or her conscience to condone what he knows is false or what he or she knows is wrong, you have diminished yourself. And when a person diminishes himself or herself in this way, it does not mean that they then look up to those who are staying the course. It means they will come to resent them because their better choice shames them. And the more defensive they become, the more self-justifying they become in their behavior and their attitudes, the more likely they are to come to even oppose and hate what they once supported because they feel they must justify themselves at all costs. That's probably what happened to Hymenaeus and Alexander. At some point along the line, they had compromised their conscience. They bought into it. And it was one step and one step and one step. You know, it's... You, 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 <laughs> There's the worst master in the world is a bad conscience. And the worst kind of slave to be is a slave to a bad conscience. You know, if we don't follow Paul, we risk becoming an anti-Paul. And Paul began hating Christ. He ended with loving Christ. We're talking about the opposite, starting out with devotion to Christ and ending up with hostility and rejection as part of our defending what is not defensible. Then there's the apostle, who will later make it very explicit what he's appealing to Timothy about, or what his appeal to Timothy in these verses. He'll later make it very explicit in 2 Timothy. He'll say to him, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 2 Timothy 1.8. And then in 2 Timothy 2.3, again, join with me in suffering like a good soldier. That is the nature of the Christian life. It's the nature of apostolic ministry. It's the nature of pastoral ministry. It's the nature of being an elder or a deacon or a Christian in any walk of life where you are walking faithfully and you're trustworthy before God. But following Christ, following him is so far superior to living under the tyranny of a bad conscience and all the influences that come from it. Living as a disciple whom the Lord regards as trustworthy Living as a disciple whom the Lord regards as trustworthy is not presumption. It is gospel joy. It comes from realizing God's grace is sufficient for me. To knowing that no testing, no trial is going to be too great for me. He'll see to it. And what this is all about at the end of the day is an astonishing choir 
innumerable around the throne, singing together. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor forever and ever. Amen. So that's why Paul talks to Timothy so autobiographically. Because Christ has made him an example for Timothy. And in Paul, Timothy can see what Christ is and will continue to do in him. So that the lies that he has been telling himself, the things that he's been believing, he can recognize are not true. The gospel, gospel truth is reality. And it's for those who keep their eyes on Christ, they will find him faithful. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for this portion of your word because it does speak to each one of us. Who of us doesn't know self-doubt in the face of challenge? Or the desire to be done with tasks and callings that you have brought into our lives and that you have not released us from. I think of the suffering husband and wife, the struggling children, the youth who are beset and told so many false messages and who are so vulnerable apart from your grace and mercy to them. I think of the old as well as of the young. I think of people who ask the question, is this worth it? Think of people in positions of discouragement. Lord, in themselves, none of these things are sin, of course. But you give us a remedy, and the remedy really is Christ. Lord, as the psalmist said, I lift my eyes to the hills from whence my help comes. take them off myself, I take them off the circumstances around me. The devil surely will bring me no relief. I look to Christ to hold me fast and lead me through in his triumph. We thank you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.